comes from Luke 13, uh, 24, 13 to 35. Uh, now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they, kept, they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what were you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to, to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told him, told us that they had seen a vision of angels, who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scripture concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those, who, those with him assembled together, saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened along the way and how Jesus was recognized them when he broke the bread. Amen. So if you're here this morning and you're visiting with us or you uh, haven't been with us for a very long time, uh, there's a little card in front of you that's actually our offering envelopes, but we also use it as our information card. If you want to fill that out and bring it back to the coffee bar at the end of service, we will give you a coffee mug that has Grace Community Church on it. It's very cool. It's a glass mug. We like to give them away. So if you don't have one, fill out a card and do that. And secondly, I just wanted to uh, talk quickly about our Pathways gathering that we're going to have next Sunday night. Um, you can look in our weekly news, and we have a little bit more of a we'll have a little bit more of a write up about that. But I just wanted to talk briefly about it. You know, there are times in the week where we have where we just need to stop. Right? We need we need to take a break. Ashley, my wife, says there's a point in every day where she just needs a cup of coffee and a leaf cookie from Trader Joe's, and it's just this opportunity to stop and take a little bit of a break. And Pathways, this Pathways gathering is something that we're hoping uh, functions like a little break for your soul. It's an opportunity for you to come, to take a breath, to have a worship gathering. It's not going to last any longer than an hour. I'll give a very brief message um, but it's something that we feel really, really strongly about. We want to create a space where 
you can worship God, you can hear briefly from the scriptures, but then we have this, we want to kind of break off into this time of communion and corporate prayer. So there's this thing that happens in the Bible where Christians are called together in what's often referred to as body ministry, which sounds a little weird, but I know, but um, is actually just an opportunity for Christians to pray with and bear the burdens of other Christians. So this is, this is the type of night where if, you have, with, if you're carrying something, if you're, uh, if you're burdened with something, if you're struggling with something, whether it be mental like depression or anxiety, whether it be physical, like some physical ailment that you would like us to pray for, whether it's just a deepening dependence upon the person of Jesus. We want uh, to create a, a safe and reverent space where we can pray with one another, where we can look at the scriptures, where we can uh, ask for our sins to be forgiven. Now, we do that every day, hopefully, and every Sunday, but uh, in a special and specific way, we want to be able to do that at our Pathways gathering. You know, sometimes, sometimes, the way to move forward is to look back. Sometimes the way to, uh, to really progress in our lives is to stop and to take a second and to look to some ancient Christian practices, ancient ways of experiencing faith, and lean into those things and see about the ways in which God might be guiding us in and through our own lives and our own journey with Him. And that's what we're hoping this pathway, Pathways Gathering becomes. So if you're free next Sunday night, we would love to see you. Um, and uh, I would love to see you. All right? All right. Good. So something had happened Something so big and so unexpected that no one, at least at the time, could really get their head around what it all meant. When we jump into the story of these two men walking the roughly seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus, they are talking together. And they are trying to understand what had just taken place in Jerusalem. What had just happened. They were dumbfounded and confused and they needed a little time to debrief. Something momentous had happened, and they did not know what it was. This is how I feel like every first-time parent feels when you, uh, you go from no baby to suddenly baby. <laughs> and I can only speak from the perspective of a father, but you stand there for quite some time in a kind of hushed awe and wonder, repeating over and over to yourself, what just happened? You have absolutely no frame of reference, right? No, uh, no context for what you are actually looking at in your arms. Psychologists even tell us that uh, our state of mind can affect our ability to thoroughly grasp a situation, that our context shapes and colors how we see and understand experiences. And I think this has all probably happened to us at one time or another. Have you ever been handed something? Maybe it was a picture. Maybe it was just a, a random object. And you weren't expecting to be handed that picture. And somebody hands it to you and you look at it and your brain just cannot make sense of that picture or that thing. And you say to the person who handed it to you, what am I looking at? Right? What am I looking at? This is what has taken place in this passage of Scripture. Something big has happened. And these two disciples know it. And they know that it's tied to the story of Israel. They know that it's tied to the Scriptures. They know that it's tied to what God has been doing through this people called Israel. But they can't really make sense of it yet. And so they do what everybody 
who's trying to clear their heads and understand something does. They go for a walk, right? They go for a walk. It's a long walk, seven miles through the mountains from Jerusalem to Emmaus. is quite a while to get your head around an issue, and it's quite a while to talk. But this is what these two disciples do. But as it turns out, they are joined on their walk by someone who is very well positioned to help them understand what it is that has just taken place. So a man that they don't immediately know or recognize, a man that they don't uh, have any context for, walks along the road with them, and he kind of invites himself into their conversation. If you watch Seinfeld, he sidles up right next to them, right? He's a very quiet sidler. Uh, See, nobody watches Seinfeld, so it's not a funny joke. Uh, And he asks them, what are you two talking about? What are you two talking about? And they tell him, beginning in verse 19 of chapter 24, they say this, About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the peoples. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. So that should be the end of the story. But we, but this is, and this is important in verse 21, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all of this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us, which happens from time to time. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. Basically, they say to this stranger, here are the facts, but we can't make sense of them, right? What's so interesting about this passage, and I think the the phrase that really jumps out to me when I read it is in verse 21, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Now, if you have read the story of the Bible, if you've been with us through our series, you'll know that this is a loaded statement, a statement that only makes sense if you have an understanding of the story of Israel that has come before this statement. If you've read the story up until this point, you know a little bit of what they mean. This statement, but we had hoped that he was going to be the one who was going to redeem Israel, carries with it the whole weight of the story of Scripture. It, co- it carries all of the, the thickness, if you will, of the significance of what has happened before. They understood Jesus. See, these men understood Jesus to be, prior to his crucifixion, the fulfillment, the fulfillment of Israel's story. All right? They thought he was the Messiah, that he was the anointed deliverer, that he was the one that was going to fulfill or or make right or put to rights the story of the people of Israel. They thought he was the climax of Israel's story. But now, because things had not necessarily gone the way that they wanted it to, that things had not gone according to plan, they were seriously questioning their assessment, this assessment of who Jesus was was. They had this disorienting event, right? They had this event that kind of threw them off their axis, which axis, which was Jesus's crucifixion. And now they need a little help putting all the pieces of this story back together. 
And after they give this stranger, who is actually Jesus, right, who is hidden to them, we don't know if Jesus is hidden to them because uh, for some reason he's veiled to them, or if he's hidden to them because they just, like we said, they just don't have context for what they're looking at, right? And after they give him this overview of what they're talking about, he responds like any good and understanding teacher responds by saying, how foolish you are, (laughs) right? And how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And we're all going, very kind, Jesus. There are these two disoriented men on a long walk, and you call them fools. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm just sitting over here confused, right? And you call me a fool. But then the text says that the the stranger, uh, that they did not know at the moment, to be, to be Jesus, begins to explain things to them. They be, he, he begins to lay open the story to them in a way that makes sense. The passage actually says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, so the entirety of the Old Testament, he explains to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Concerning himself. You see, Jesus does not call them foolish because they are dumb or because they don't get it. I think, in a sense, it's a way of saying, you're right, you're correct. I am the one who is going to redeem Israel. I am that person. Well, your, your suspicions are correct. I'm the Messiah, the anointed one. But you don't see because you were expecting me to see or to be something other than what I actually am. But what is interesting to me about the way that Jesus explains who he is, is he doesn't just simply go, oops, you're wrong, got ya, right? This isn't what Jesus does. But he goes back into the scriptures. He dives back into the story of Israel, right? He he needs to give these guys context for what they are seeing and experiencing. And so he jumps back into the story to try to tell that story in a way that points to himself that points in the direction of Jesus. He's making sense of who he is within their context by using their story to explain himself. Does this make sense? This is what he's doing with the scriptures at this point. And what he says is that they were all pointing forward to something that at the time they didn't seem to understand, that the scriptures were all pointing forward to something that these disciples didn't have the context to understand. Up until this point in our teaching series, we've been talking about creation and the fall, about the story of Israel and how the story we have re- and how the story has been uh, moving towards a climax, right? It's been moving towards something. But in this point right here, after Jesus' resurrection, is the climax of the story. Everything hinges on this part of the story. Jesus' resurrection is what the faith is all about. It is what the Bible is all about, what it has been pointing to the whole time. And they don't realize it. They don't get it. We have reached the high point of the story of the Bible. Israel's God has acted decisively to deal with, the sin in, to deal with sin and death that entered into the world at the fall. He's fulfilling every covenant promise that he made to Abraham, to Moses, and to David. Yet nobody gets it. 
Jesus is the climax of Israel's story. He's saying, yes, I am the one who would deliver Israel, right? But they don't see it. They don't see that this anointed deliverer, this Messiah, this Son of God, would come in a way that they would not necessarily expect, and that he wouldn't win his victory in a way that they would, ex- they would expect. He would actually win his victory through self-sacrifice, laying his life down. They wanted the Messiah to be a great military leader like David and slay the Romans. This is what they wanted, right? Or they wanted the Messiah to be this great prophet like Moses with God's powerful acts of judgment kind of in his wake, right? Ten plagues and all of that. This is what they wanted. They did not expect that uh, his miracles would be miracles that would be directed almost exclusively at, to the poor and to the sick, right? He did not expe- they did not expect all of his acts of mercy and these great acts of judgment to be directed at all of his acts of mercy to be directed at the poor and the disenfranchised, and all of his acts of judgment to not be directed at the Romans, but to be directed at who? The religious leaders of his day. And worst of all, he offended these religious leaders, didn't he? And because he was, he was offended these religious leaders, because he uh, went against the grain of what they expected a Messiah to be, they handed him over, him over to the Roman authority. And they executed him on the cross on the busiest religious week in Jerusalem, where everybody was there to watch him. And so, at this point, at the point in which we pick up this passage in the story of Luke's gospel, Jesus has been crucified and resurrected, right? He's been resurrected. Angels have actually announced his resurrection, but the only people who realized it and believed it were a few women, Basically, this is, uh, this is the way that being the Messiah, the fulfillment of Israel's story, w- went. But it was so opposite of the way that they expected it to go, or the way that anybody expected it to go, that they were not able to see it. And it's clear that the disciples in the story are not about to listen to two lowly women, or three lowly women, actually. Uh, And I didn't realize it until I started studying this passage this week, but it's possible that Jesus is so frustrated with these two disciples because they're actually, uh, because they called his mom a liar. It's actually Mary, uh, the mother, the Bible, Luke says Mary, the mother of James, which is a way of saying, uh, who is Jesus' brother. So Mary, uh, Mary Magdalene, and a a lady named Joanna are the three people at the tomb. And they they say, we've seen these angels announce that Jesus has been resurrected. And because they're women, they don't believe him. And because these guys are telling Jesus that his mom's a liar, he's a little mad. It's possible. It's possible. I'm not saying that's what that is. I'm just saying it's possible. Uh, But the the point is, is that they're a little little suspicious, right? They're a little suspicious. Uh, Just a quick aside. Part of the reason the, the acknowledgement of these women heralding the resurrection of Jesus is so significant and poignant is because in the first century world, women, women were not considered to be uh, reliable sources of information, so much so that if you were a woman, you couldn't testify in court because they didn't believe you were reliable. And yet, the, the, God, the God of the universe is resurrected, and who does he appoint as the three people who would testify to his resurrection first? Three women says some good things about who God is, right? Uh, 
and that he's a fair amount better than the uh, patriarchal systems of the Roman world and ours also. But I think what's interesting and, what, and what, we need to, what we need to focus in on on this story is that Jesus goes into these scriptures to explain himself to them, right? And he shows them that he is not, he is not the person they, would ex- they, they expected him to be, but he is something else. And he, he reinterprets or he re-explains their Bible, or at least the way they have been reading their Bible to them. And I think this story... Uh, can kind of point to us as a type of parable, a parable of the way that we can understand the ways in which we read our Bible and we read the story of God's interaction with his people that we call the Bible. Because like these men walking through the wilderness trying to get their heads around what had just happened to them, we too can get a little confused. We, too, occasionally look at the story of Scripture, we look at the Bible, and we look at it through the wrong lens. We are told by, uh, we are told by everyone that these stories, that this book that is called the Bible, is actually about us. Has, I don't know if anybody puts it this way necessarily, but this is, this is the idea that's implicit when people say. So when we, when we read it through that lens of our own perspective— Rather than living the story of the scriptures, we can get a little confused. We cannot see Jesus in the text the way that we are called to see him. How many times in my own life have I been desperate to get some type of answer for something that's ailing me, some, some issue, some, uh, some problem that I've experienced in life, right? Some some, uh, some situation that I'm encountering that I, that I just need an answer for. And so I go to the Bible and I open it up and I pray that a mysterious light like the one shining on my face right now would shine on a particular passage of the Bible. And that would be my verse of the day and it would lead me out of the wilderness of my life and into these wide green pastures, right? That it would square away my life and that everything would be good and I just need that one answer for my problem right? Now, I'm not saying this doesn't happen from time to time. I'm not saying that the Bible isn't occasionally, the the, the Holy Spirit doesn't use the Bible that way in our lives at times. He does. But what I'm saying is that is not the primary purpose of the Bible. The primary purpose of the Bible is not to tell you and I things about ourselves. That's not what it's about. The primary purpose of the Bible is to tell us things about Jesus. This is what the purpose of the Bible is. God will use it, right, to shape and orient your life, but he will use it primarily to shape and orient your life as you shape and orient your life around the person of Jesus that you see revealed in the scriptures. This is what the scriptures do. This is how they function. And this is what Jesus is doing for these men on a long walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus. He's reorienting their understanding of what the Bible is around him and what he has done. The primary reason we need to read the whole story of the Bible, this one big story that we've been looking at in this sermon series, the primary reason we need to do this is because we need to see, to see the Bible through the lens that, that, the, that Jesus sees the Bible through, that the scriptures themselves see it itself through, and that is Jesus. 
This is one of the enduring truths of the Christian faith. If you want to know Jesus more, if you want to come into contact with him, it is not only about a personal spiritual experience. There is personal spiritual experience that exists and it's important, but it's not only about that. It is also about studying and knowing the scriptures. Now remember in our text for today, Jesus is hidden from these men, right? It's a kind of parable for, I think, our own blindness at times. They don't know who he is. Jesus is hidden from them. And it is as Jesus teaches them from the scriptures that they are able to come to an awareness of who Jesus is and they are able to see, right? You know you can glean from the scriptures all manner of wisdom and insight. You can. You can read the, read the Proverbs and you can read... Uh, you can read the scriptures for a myriad of different purposes and reasons. You can orient your lives around the teachings of scripture. You can see the scripture as kind of some magic book that if I just do what it says, I'll get a good life. You can do all of that, and it might work. But if you don't use the scriptures, if you don't read them as they were intended to be, as a book that's pointing towards, always moving towards the person of Jesus, then you will never be using them as they were intended to be used. All of the scriptures, all of the Bible, all of the story of God's interaction with the people of Israel is all about Jesus. Sometimes we think that the primary way that we understand Jesus Him is uh, by experiencing him in a kind of an emotionally and spiritually charged environment. That's how we think the primary way that we encounter Jesus. Now, we do encounter Jesus there, primarily when we're gathered together as his body in the church. There is this spiritual experience that's associated with that. And when we do encounter Jesus, there are emotional components to that. But, it's, but we were given the scriptures, God's special communication about himself, in order to point us to the person of Jesus, first and foremost. And this is the way we are called to, first and foremost, engage with the person of Jesus, is through this book that talks about him from stem to stern, from Genesis to Revelation, from Alpha to Omega, if you will. This is how we were called to engage with Jesus. The primary way we encounter Jesus is through the scriptures. This is what we are called to. The wisdom of the scriptures in tandem with God's working in our, in our hearts should draw us more and more to the person of Jesus because the book is all about him. If this book leads you away from Jesus, if you read this book a lot, but it makes you look less like Jesus, which happens to people who are bound up in kind of religion, right? And it's all about do's and don'ts, and it's all about following the rules and regulations, and it's all about doing the right thing. And sometimes these people talk a lot about holiness. It's not actually holiness. It's more like Phariseeism. But if you, if you read the Bible every day and it leads you in that direction rather in the direction where your character looks more like the character of Jesus, then it's not where you're supposed to go and you're not doing it right. You're not doing it right. This is a problem in religion, isn't it? Where we systematize the book and we make it about do's and don'ts and we don't make it about the person of Jesus and then it becomes this thing that we beat people over the head with. That's where the term Bible thumper came, <laughs> came from. Just for the record, that's where it came from. Because we're not reading the scriptures as a means to point us to, direct us to Jesus. And that leads us to our second point. We must read the scriptures through the lens 
I'm glad this isn't a lens because that would be two lenses and I wouldn't be able to see out of my right eye because I wear glasses for the people who are listening on podcasts. We need to read the Bible through the lens of Jesus. In John 5, this is what Jesus says. He says, if you believe Moses, he's speaking to Israel, if you believe Moses, you would believe me because he spoke about me. Because he spoke about me. Jesus is our interpretive key for the scriptures. If we read through the story of the Bible and you come up with conclusions that don't look like or act like Jesus, then you're not reading it correctly. Jesus is the key to reading the Bible well. Not only does it talk about him primarily, not only should it lead us to him exclusively, but it's the key for reading it well. It's the key for understanding what is actually being said in the scriptures. You know, these men who were walking on the road to Emmaus, they understood the scriptures. They had them down pat, right? But they were reading it through a kind of narrow lens. They were reading it through the lens of their own national interests. Is what they were. That's the lens that they were reading the scriptures through. They were reading the scriptures through the interests of national Israel. They thought the Messiah was going to come and he was going to deliver the nation of Israel out of the hands of the Romans and they were going to have their own land and they were, going to, they were going to set up a kind of kingdom to themselves and that no one would ever dominate. They were reading it through this lens of their own national interest and they missed what Jesus was actually doing, what God was doing through the person of Jesus, what the Messiah was actually doing. And when we read the Bible, when we read it well through the interpretive lens of Jesus, it's like this big circle, right? Everything we read uh, kind of comes out of Jesus, and everything we do kind of points back to Jesus, right? We, we learn from Jesus, we do what Jesus tells us to do, we learn, what this, learn who Jesus is through the scriptures, and it kind of uh, turns us around and puts us back into Jesus again. It's this big Jesus loop that we find in the scriptures, and that is how we were intended to read the scriptures. So practically, if you read something in the scriptures, and it doesn't align with the person of Jesus, or, uh, or and this happens from time to time, Right? Have you ever read, this, read the Old Testament, for instance, and you've read something and it, it doesn't seem to align with the character that you see in Jesus? It doesn't, see, it doesn't seem to align with the, with the teachings of Jesus even, say, on the Sermon on the Mount? What do you do with that, right? What do you do with that? That happens from time to time. In the Old Testament, sometimes we read passages about Old Testament violence, right? And this, this gives people... Pause. This has caused many people to walk away from the faith because they see this incongruity between the, this violence in the Old Testament and the character of Jesus, and they say these two things can't go together, and they kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater. Now, this is a really big topic. It's one that I can't get into today. It's so big that I probably shouldn't have brought it up, actually. <laughs> but uh, but uh, all I want to say is today that if Jesus is your interpretive key, if he's the lens through which you read the scriptures, you can rest on the person of Jesus, you can rest there, and you can hold the things that don't seem to line up with Jesus, you can hold them with slightly open hands, and you can allow time and space to wrestle with those things. Does this make sense? You can nod your head if, if you, or you can go, these are your clueless. That's fine too. 
If, if, if Jesus is your interpretive lens and you run into something else in the scriptures that seem weird, well, you'll run into all kinds of things in the Levitical codes that just won't make sense. And there'll be no real, it doesn't feel like there's any real connection between that and Jesus. And uh, it just gets messy. And so sometimes people just leave the Old Testament altogether and just, I'm just going to, I'm a New Testament person, New Covenant, see you later, right? That's not what we're called to do. But we are called to see Jesus as the lens through which we read the Old Testament. So if you're one of those people, I just want to say this. If you're one of those people and you struggle with, why does God command Israel to like wipe out entire nations of people? That doesn't seem to align with a Jesus who says, um, love your enemies, <laughs> right? If you see those two realities don't seem to line up, we can talk about that later and I have some books for you to read. Uh, if you're the type of person who, ah, I'm fine with it, don't worry about it. That sometimes Some people it doesn't bother. But that's all to say that Jesus is our interpretive key, and we can rest on him, and we can hold those passages that are troubling at times with, a, with open hands. Does this make sense? Okay. All right. I hope that's helpful. I shouldn't have gotten into it. It's huge. It's like 50 sermons. It's a, it's a year of sermons if we actually got into it. But I won't do that to any of you because that would be very depressing. But when you read the passages of the scripture, Jesus is, our, Jesus is our interpretive lens. He is the lens through which we see everything in the scriptures. All right? So, one of my favorite uh, sentences in all of the New Testament, one of, my favorite, uh, one of my favorite verses in all of the New Testament is found in this passage that we read today. It's found in verse 32 of our teaching text for today. And after these men, Cleopas and his buddy, after they had uh, had this encounter with Jesus and um, they're talking to their friends, they say this about what was happening to them as Jesus was opening the scriptures to them, as before they knew it was Jesus, as he was opening the scriptures to them. They say this, were not our hearts burning within us while, we, while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Were not our hearts burning within us? can come up. When is, and the point three, if you have it in your notes there, is when is the last time you felt your heart burn? Now, my wife is pregnant, and this, she's reaching the phase in life where she just has heartburn, right? That's a part of pregnancy. I'm not talking about that type of heartburn, and I don't think that's what the disciples were talking about either. The type of heartburn I'm talking about is this deep, centered kind of sense of God's presence with us. When is the last time that you felt when you opened the scriptures that God was awakening some type of warm presence of his spirit as you open the scriptures? This is just a question. Because if we, because if we understand the scriptures for what they are, if we see the scriptures the way that these disciples were led to see them through the lens of the person of Jesus, if we read the scriptures in that way, it would, see, it would seem we would be led to believe from this passage that there, there would be a type of thing that would occur in our hearts where our hearts would be inflamed in a good way, where, where we would be led towards Jesus as we open the scriptures. Now, what often happens in our lives, right, is we get busy. We get, everything kind of gets thrown up in the air, right? And everything's running at a million miles an hour, and our kids are screaming, and our grandkids are screaming, and our, everybody's screaming, <laughs> right? Everybody's always screaming or slamming a door. That happens a lot, too. 
And we read the scriptures. We have our daily devotion or something, but, but we don't allow the scriptures to like take up residence in us. We don't allow this story of, that's, uh, that's coming from and pointing to Jesus to take up residence in our hearts and warm us from the inside out, if you will. It's like an internal warming house if you were into skating on ponds when you were younger. And the, and the truth of the matter is, is that Christians are not people who are called to have a daily devotion. Um, if you missed it this week, it's, that's not important. In that we're not called to do a thing that makes God happy with us, right? Called devotions. We're just not called to do that. We are called to sit next to the fire of the scriptures and have our hearts warmed and transformed by the truth of Jesus that we dig out, that we mine out of the scriptures. This is what we're called to. And what can ha- happen very often, if, if, you've been a, if you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, or maybe you're in this room and you're not a follower of Jesus, or maybe you've been a follower of Jesus for three weeks, right? I don't know. I don't know where we all are. But what we're called to do is kind of sidle up again to the scriptures. To see them for what they are. To kind of, to see them as these Uh, this special communication that God has written, this big story that God is telling about the people uh, of Israel, about the people of God, that's all pointing to this climactic point that is Jesus. And Jesus reveals to us the heart of God. Jesus is the picture, the image of the invisible God, right? This is who Jesus is. And as we look at the scriptures, as we study them, as as we open them up, they should come alive to us. They should come alive to us. Our hearts should be strangely warmed by this reality of Jesus in the scriptures. And and you don't have to have a master's degree in the Bible to do this. You don't have to know even what you're reading. You just have to know that the scriptures are about Jesus. And that this story that God is telling, this grand sweep of the narrative that God is telling from creation to fall to Israel to Jesus, to the church, to final redemption. We'll cover those next two, the next two weeks. This grand sweep of the story that Jesus is, that the Bible is telling, and it's all about Jesus, can and will capture your heart if you let it. If you let it. If you grew up in church, like I did, I grew up in a Christian family, um, the scriptures can at times become quite boring, especially if your parents were the type of parents that made you read scripture as, in time out uh, as a punishment. My parents didn't, thank God. Uh, some parents did. Parents, don't do that, just for the record. <laughs> Please don't do that. Um, they can become cold, right? They can just become, it can, your, our lives with the scriptures can become perfunctory. And we don't live into the story that God is telling through them. And if we do anything as Christians, as, as uh, followers of Jesus, my hope is that we live into the story of the scriptures. We don't use individual scriptures as kind of like talismans, right? That if we just put enough on our walls, nothing bad will happen to us. That's not what it's about. But that we, we dig into the story and we allow it to point us to the person of Jesus. Christians don't worship the Bible. Did you know this? We don't worship the Bible. We worship Jesus. And the scriptures point to Jesus, right? So uh, sometimes in, in church we can talk about the infallible word of God, right? And we can make it the thing we worship rather than Jesus. And we are called 
as Christians to worship Jesus. So what I wanted to do this morning uh, is just as the band plays a little bit, just have a time, a time of reflection. As we, uh, we'll stand here in a minute together, we'll sing one song. And my hope is that you can just say to Jesus, I want the scriptures to come more alive to me. I want to live into this story a little bit more. I want to become the type of person for whom when I open the scriptures, my heart is burning within me with the Jesus that I see within them, right? That would be a good thing. That would be a good thing. All right. All right. Good. You'd stand with us.